0: The hopeless helplessness of helping myself. By now, having spent these last weeks in Galatians, you should know the theme that the Holy Spirit through Paul is giving to the church namely, this. That we are justified by grace through faith in Jesus Christ plus nothing. We cannot do anything to prepare ourselves to be saved. We cannot do anything to help Jesus save us. We cannot do anything to save ourselves, to keep ourselves saved, or to help Jesus save us, or to help Jesus keep us saved. It's all of Christ. Therefore, The Apostle Paul makes it very clear that we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. There are no works that are preparatory or that we can do in any way before or after. So we come to Galatians 4 and we're down in now verses 8 through 11. And we begin to see even more clearly how hopeless it is. If we try to help ourselves in our salvation. So I want to bring out five points from this uh, verses 8 through 11. And let's look at it together. But indeed at that time, not knowing God, you were enslaved to those by nature not being gods. Those who are not gods. I want to appeal, if you please... To the Greek text. Edates. It's translated knowing. The first line there. Knowing. I have it underlined. And I have it in bold font. The word means to appreciate. Or to remember. Oh okay. At that time. He says to the Galatians. Now the Galatians were bewitched. Because the Judaizers had come in behind the Apostle Paul and were trying to convince the Galatians that they had to do something regarding the works of the law, the works of Moses. They had to perform. They had to behave in a certain way. They had to adhere to the Mosaic law and then Jesus could save them. But if they weren't obedient to so the law of Moses, then their salvation was meaningless. And of course, this is that's another gospel. That's a false gospel. There's only one gospel. And the gospel is that you're saved by grace through faith in Christ plus nothing. I hope I've said that enough through this series that we have it imprinted in our minds. And this this, this long, this long epistle, this well, it's not that long, but this epistle makes this unbroken argument from, from heaven through Paul that this is a bewitching thing. This bewitches people. When People are bewitched. It's like someone has cast a spell on them when they get them unnerved about their salvation. Oh, you didn't do enough. You didn't say the right prayer. You didn't, you in this case, uh, they didn't do certain things in the law. It, most specifically, the men didn't follow circumcision before they came to Christ uh, by faith, and of course, that was all settled back at the council in Acts fifteen. Paul makes this argument, this debate, and it's 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 rather pointed and harsh because the gospel, the very gospel of Christ, is at stake here. You can't let people come in and make other people think that they have to do something themselves in order to be saved. So he makes this, he says, there was a time you didn't appreciate God and at that time you were enslaved to those things that were called gods, but by nature they weren't gods at all. They were the works of your hands. So Paul essentially says, not even appreciating the true and living God, you were enslaved to works. And of course, false religion, that's all false religion is, is just a, a thing, of a series of, of works. you got to do this, you can't do that, and, and uh, you got to follow this, these principles and rules and so forth. Paul here says, you, you didn't appreciate God, you were enslaved back then to the works of your hands. So the first thing that he says is, there was a time you didn't know God, you didn't even appreciate God. All you were concerned with was doing stuff, making images, carving idols, the works of your hands. You, you, you just as well been planting a garden or, or doing something else because those things that aren't God's that you tried to make God's are not God's at all. They're not the true living God. So at that time, you didn't even appreciate God. That leads him to the next point. But now having known God. And okay, this is a different Greek word. Nantes. As opposed to adates. Nantes. Gnosis. Uh, knowledge to know. This word in the Greek text. Is the word that is used. In, in New Testament writings and in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, when it references intimate knowledge, to know someone intimately, matter of fact, it's the Greek word that's used when when the Bible says that a man knew his wife and they conceived and she conceived. This is an intimate knowledge. When someone comes to Christ, when God draws His own to Himself. There is an intimacy that is established. There's far more than just an appreciation. There is an intimate relationship that a believer has with his God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he says, but now having known God, and then he makes it theologically correct, He said, actually, you were known by God. Now that's the same root uh, here. It's uh, nostentes for those who care. Um, But stay with me because this is an important theological point. Here's what Paul is saying. Now in the Greek text up here, it's it's a participle, but it's, It's it's in the aorist tense and it's in the passive voice. Here's what that means. If it's in the passive, that means that the subject was acted upon. The subject would be the believer in this case. The one who did the acting was God. God acted upon the believer. The believer didn't act upon God. God acted upon the believer. That's exactly what the phrase means. In the aorist tense, it means that it happened. It's done. It's done. Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy. And he says, you know, it is according to the purpose of his grace. That we are saved in Christ Jesus before the world ever began. Something that's very difficult to understand is it's followed up on in Hebrews 13, somewhere around to verse 20. He says, now the God of peace, who raised up from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, according to the blood of the eternal covenant. Jesus Christ in John's gospel, John chapter six, speaks of those to wh- of whom the father has given to him. All that the Father has given to me will come to me, he says. And all who come to me, I will never ever cast them out. In a realm that we cannot understand in a way that we cannot know. By a grace that is unfathomable. That we can only be acted upon with and we cannot act with it. In this grace. God established his elect as a gift for his son before the world ever began. So Paul says, you know, you've known God intimately, but it wasn't until God had already known you. John, First John, he writes, he loved us before we loved him. You can carry that on. He knew us before we knew him. Paul writes to the Romans, he says, nobody seeks after God. Nobody. He sought us. We didn't seek him. He's the seeker. He comes after his own. So Paul makes this theological enrichment to the Galatians because of the greater point, which I'll get to in a minute. Having been known... Okay, you've known God, but but there's more than that. God already knew you. You were His. How are you going to work yourself into that when it was already concluded before the world ever began? Now, I can't explain all of that, except that I know that our job as the church is to preach the gospel to everybody because God knows who they are and we don't. And we trust God. He's going to do what He's going to do and He will not fail. He will gather his own to himself. If it was in any whit depended upon us, well, that, that interjects failure into the process because we are failed. But God graciously uses us in the process. But here's, here's the great rich point that he makes to the Galatians. As a matter of fact, Paul writes to the Romans in chapter 8. It's pretty clear. He says, you know, uh, God works everything for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Then he goes on. And and it's a passage of scripture that for some reason a lot of people like to skip. But to me it's a beautiful thing. And so he says, for those whom he foreknew, he predestined. For those whom he predestined, he called. For those whom he called, he justified. And for those whom he justified, he glorified. Then he goes on after that and says, who in the world is going to do anything against what God has done? That's what he essentially says in the next several verses in Romans 8. Who is going to interrupt, add to, or take away from the work of God in our salvation? That he would save us according to his eternal purpose. And then he goes on in the last verse there in that chapter neither height nor depth, angels, principalities, powers, things above, things below, not anything in death, not anything in life, no creature, nothing created will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing before, nothing after. Nothing yesterday, nothing tomorrow, nothing today. Nothing in the spiritual realm, nothing in the physical realm. Matter of fact, there's nothing that will ever have been created that will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Why? Because God did the saving. God did it all. It's according to his purpose and grace. I can't help God. God doesn't need my help. What can I do to help God? (laughs) That's an asinine question. That's a stupid question. I can't help God. God exists in and of himself. And he does all things according to his glory, all things according to his glory and his purpose. He will be glorified. His purpose will be accomplished in me, in everybody who ever lives. So God has called these certain Galatians to himself. Paul says there was a time you didn't appreciate God because God hadn't called you yet. According to his purpose, he worked it out in his time as he saw fit. But now you've known God. Rather, God knew you before you knew Him. God loved you before you loved Him. God called out to you before you ever called out to Him. God initiated the whole thing and upholds it by His power. Now, let me tell you you come to Christ by the effectual call of God, it is an irresistible thing. Compelled by the Almighty to come to Him. God makes a gift out of giving you faith. God deposits His Holy Spirit in your life. And here's what happens. You will walk humbly through life. Feeling unworthy. Of salvation. You see. Anybody who adds His works to it would think that he could brag some about it. Not a thing we can brag about. God does it all. And God arranged it before the world ever was. And this is the great point to the Galatians. How is it knowing that God did everything and you think that you had part of it and now... You're going to turn again to the weak and destitute. That that word destitute means worthless. It means means something that you don't have any good sense doing. These destitute principles to which you desire to be again enslaved anew. You were enslaved before you were set free. You're you're wanting to be enslaved. I'm reminded of the story of Exodus. Exodus. It didn't take long for the Israelites to begin to complain and murmur and moan and carry on. And some of them even said, we would really rather go back to Egypt where we had onions and stuff to eat. What an affront that would be to God who had redeemed them and brought them out of their slavery. So he says, is this really your desire to go back into your former slavery? Whenever someone gets caught up in that circle of works, salvation, it will drive a person mad. You'll never do enough. You'll never find the right thing to do. You'll always be getting corrected by others who said, well, you halfway did it or you didn't do the right thing. There are always a new set of rules by charlatans who come in the side door and really just seek aggrandizement for themselves and nothing else. The Bible is replete with warnings about that, especially in the little book of Jude. Always confu- trying to confuse, trying to bewitch believers. Sensitive believers who are sensitive about salvation. Here is the sensitivity of a real believer. Constantly sensitive to the fact that I'm totally unworthy. And but for Christ. Who covered me with his righteousness. But for God. God. Who sent his only son to die for me as an atonement to justify me, to pay me out and purchase me, to redeem me. But for that, I am totally and absolutely unworthy of this whole thing. And so I go through life humbly, thanking God, worshiping God. Because he did for me what I could never do for myself. This is how I came to Christ with nothing. This is how I have remained with Christ with nothing but the power of Christ. Well, what else do I need? Paul, in that Romans 8, after the passage that I quoted a few minutes ago, said, If God is for us, who can be against us? These bewitched, poor, silly, nonsensical, weak Galatians don't know what they're saying. Which brings Paul to his final point in this particular passage. You observe days and months and seasons and years. Those were the rituals, those were the Jewish calendar rituals, those things that you had to do stuff that you were required to do under the law of Moses. I fear for you, lest perhaps I have toiled for you in vain. Neither Paul nor any other person can judge the soul of someone else. Of course, we surrender that to the great judge, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, with regard to being lost, the judgment of the great white throne. I cannot judge someone who at some point came to Christ. But I know what Paul is saying. I became a minister in actually 1976. I've been around the block a few times. I've seen a a lot of people. Man, I've seen them coming to the altar weeping and carrying on. I've I've seen them in their homes tremble and beg and shout and cry and pray. And from time to time, I've seen many of those people back right where they were doing the things that were not, as the old King James would say, not convenient to salvation. And you wonder, you wonder, happens so many times because we're told our job is to cast the seed, to sow the seed And we can't help the condition of the soil where it falls. Some of it falls in good soil and it makes its way up and it produces fruit. Those who do it just like Paul can never know. But I can understand his heart here. I see what you're doing. It looks like you're drifting back into your slavery. And I'm afraid for you lest perhaps I have toiled for you in vain. When God convicts and calls a person to salvation by faith in his son, it's it's a clear and unmistakable thing. And the mightiest magnetic drawing that one could ever have sensed occurs in his life, and nothing, no thought of anything stands between him and the one who is calling me and what he's calling me to and what he has done for me in the process of that calling. That calling is so profound and so great, it makes a difference. God causes us to be born again, Peter says, through regeneration, we're born again again. And now by repentance, we're not walking the same path anymore. We're going the other direction by the power of God. Doesn't mean that we're perfect. We're going to stumble and we still carry on this body of death in these present days. Thus, we are humbled before God constantly in our prayers saying, God, thank you. I'm so unworthy to know that you sent your son for you have to opened up my eyes. Mind to the beauty of the gospel, which is a stumbling block to everybody else. But you've made it so clear to me. You have saved me. The book of Hebrews says that Christ, our great high priest, is in heaven keeping us saved. How could I do a better job of that than Jesus? I can't. My job is to walk humbly with God, to live in faith, and to follow Him. And I'll tell you, you get into the Word and get into prayer, and you'll know what the unction of God feels like in your life. You'll know it when you do something wrong, and it is so grievous and heartbreaking to you through confession and repentance. To beg for forgiveness, the one who gave everything that I might be saved, to walk this life, to know that there are just there's a life I don't fit in with anymore, there's a world that's not my home anymore. I'll just do the best I can do to follow and serve Christ, because He has a purpose for me that will work itself out. Because the same same call of God that has saved me has called me not only just to salvation, but to good works. That's what Paul writes to the Ephesians. These things, and I, I don't even realize it when they work themselves out in my life. God is working his purpose out. He has given me gifts of the spirit that I didn't even No, we're being displayed or used because now it's part of me and it's Christ in me working out his purpose in this life. To walk humbly with God, to be super sensitive to his his salvation and the path that he wants me to follow. You'll never mistake that call of God. Paul is trying to remind the Galatians from whence they have come. To tell them you've been bewitched by people who are just wrong and false and have brought to you another gospel. There is only one gospel. You come to Christ by faith. You just believe in Him. You believe what the Bible says. You believe the record about who He is, what He's done, and what it means for you. It's by faith through the grace of God, that you're saved in Christ Jesus, plus nothing, plus nothing. Anything else? There's a difference between humility and enslavement. It's one thing to be humble in the presence of God for the rest of your life. It's another thing to be enslaved in such a way that you think you have to do something. You have to maintain your salvation. You have to work. You have to behave. You have to do this. God gives you a new life, a new birth. Born again. Now the Bible becomes alive to you. You see, the Bible lives, but it only lives for those who have been born again. The Bible is otherwise meaningless. That's why I can't. I can't really fuss too much about people who laugh at and scoff at the scriptures. It's because they're spiritually dead. They can't help themselves. But when you're saved, the Bible lives. It walks with you. It talks to you. It guides you. Strengthens you. You can read the Bible all the way through and then read it all the way through again and you'll get something different out of it every time. Something new and different. That's the life of a believer. Why would anybody want to live under slavery? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and he came into this world to save sinners. The scriptures are clear. If you will admit that you are a sinner... If you will believe in Jesus as the only Savior, and by confessing sin, call on him to save you. For the scriptures say, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God will save you. Come by faith, God will save you. There are three things everybody needs in his life. Number one, he needs to be saved. Only God can do that. And only you can know when God calls you. Number two, once saved, people should be obedient to baptism. It's part of the Great Commission. Baptism doesn't save you, but it sure is a great proclamation, a great testimony of what God has done in your life. The third need is to be a part of a local body of believers. In modern vernacular, we would call that church membership these days. These three needs, to be saved, to be baptized in obedience to the command of the Lord, and then to be a part of the local body of believers. Those three needs. If any one of those three needs you have in your life today, on your way out, there will be two rooms. You'll see them, and we have deacons and their wives waiting in those rooms to pray with you and to help you with any one or two or all three of those things that are needs for every person. So as God speaks to you on your way out, you speak to one of the deacons and his wife. Father God in heaven, Thank you for bringing us together, Lord. Keep us from sickness and harm. Bless our nation, O God. We are fractured and we are hurting. And we know that the only thing that can deliver us is the power of Christ in our lives. Who doesn't divide, but who brings together. The Holy Spirit who unifies Father, use the gospel, help us to preach and teach. But God, more than anything, pour out your Holy Spirit to rescue us in these last days. Father, we pray for deliverance from sickness, from the plagues that we're threatened with. Keep us from harm and from sickness from illness and give us strength and resources to preach the gospel and to teach the Bible in these last days. In Jesus' name, amen. Before you go, I think there's a couple of announcements.